Well, I want to talk some more about this election. Elections present us with opportunities. Uh, absolutely, opportunities to choose. Sometimes ballot initiatives are there before us. Some, obviously, uh, always to choose a candidate uh, to serve in a particular office. So opportunities to choose, opportunities to ponder, opportunities to ponder what are indeed our priorities, our deepest values, and opportunities to choose and to ponder uh, such things and to evaluate such things is that, that's good and valid, necessary. But there's a, another set of opportunities that come, especially in a year like this, or maybe beyond, a, I'll say a season like this. And that is not just an opportunity to choose or to ponder and evaluate, but to be exposed. This campaign, this ugly, ugly presidential campaign has exposed us. Uh, it has left so many of us feeling as though we have been uh, had, had had two less than ideal candidates thrust upon us, and leaving us just awash in consternation as to what to think, confusion as to what to do, and divisions on all quarters, and we're just a mess. And it's not going to be resolved by Midnight Tuesday. All that stuff that I just listed out. Not in any way. We are in such need of wisdom and the Lord's mercy. We are in need of a heavy dose of the reality of God speaking into the insanity of our politics. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. And just to set your mind at ease, I am not going to tell you this morning who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you what to vote for. But I do believe the Word of God speaks to how we are to vote. And I hope I can make that distinction clear as we go. How to vote, the heart of that. Psalm 146, hear now the word of God. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we 
need the wisdom and mercy of which I spoke just a moment ago far more than I or anybody else in this room knows. Because we are more foolish and needy than we dare to admit. So we are asking humbly, pleadingly, but with assurance that given that you delight in us because of Jesus, you do guide, you do hear prayer, and we are asking then for that mercy and that wisdom, not through any man, not through any pundit, not through any opinion piece, but through your inerrant word. Would you speak, oh, to the depths of our being, by your Spirit. Amen. So, this past week, of course, was Halloween. And I don't doubt that at your doorstep you saw a few costumes and masks show up. And maybe some of you wore them, I don't know. Um, some were cute and adorable. Some were probably darker, a little more frightful. Funny thing is about those darker, more frightful costumes and, and, and masks, if the scenario and the setting and the context is, is just right, it can really spin some stuff up. And uh, a costume can bring such fear that calm isn't ever really restored until our identity is revealed. Let me give you a little scenario. How I saw that played out um, in an odd sort of way some years ago. Our son Alex, um, I don't know, this is probably like six, seven, eight years ago, uh, late October, he, I think it was that big inflatable pumpkin out there in Wilma Rudolph, we uh, went out there and he, he found himself what we called, have called for years the old man mask. The old man mask was this full-headed deal, and he would put that on and put on this hat and some old clothes and, and grabbed a, a stick to use as a cane and would alter, of course, his, his, his gait. And uh, you had no idea who he was. He'd speak with a, in an odd sort of voice, and it was really funny. It was really cool, very creative, very amusing, until that afternoon when he came around the corner of the garage and startled our dog, Hope. Now, you need to understand, Hope is an 85-pound German Shepherd mix. And she didn't recognize that figure coming around the corner as her boy. And she went ballistic. And I can tell you very quickly, he responded in a good way, which was stripping off all that stuff and getting down on his knees. Um, you know... Sometimes it, it, it takes a revealing for fear to be laid aside, for fear to be allayed and to be taken care of. Um, I think there's something of, of hope, our dog, in us, in that need and in that response. I think so much of what's happening across this nation and maybe in of our own hearts right now has a whole lot more than we realize to do with fear than anything else. Fear can do a lot of strange things to you. It can make you respond in ways that seem polar opposite but actually have the same thing at its root. 
It can make you aggressive, snarl, go on the attack. It can also make you passive, retreat, want to get away, hide. Um, and it's all out of fear. God's Word shows us that there is another and better way uh, to, to respond to things. It's, it's not out of fear, but it requires something of us. It requires us to accept something, to embrace something, to realize something, to know something down in the depths of our being, and that is that God has revealed himself and what he has revealed of himself. Um, you say, how? Well, how does that work? Well, God has indeed, the revelation of himself that we find here in his word uh, allows something, it, it, as we take that in, embrace that, it will shape if we let it, in a completely new and transformative way, our response to such things as this election. God has revealed himself to us. We need to let that shape our response to this election. Um, not, not let our panic, our worry, our anxiety, our fears, but the revelation of God, let that shape how we respond to all this political insanity. Now you might then counter, well, how, how? How does that then shape our response? Well, at least these three things. I want to unpack this just over the next few minutes. First, our responsibilities. It's there in your outline, our responsibilities. Secondly, our priorities. And third, our convictions. So our responsibilities, our priorities, and our convictions. Let me just walk you, walk you through this, the ways in which Psalm 146 can transform all of this. So verses 1 and 2, our responsibilities. Verses 1 and 2, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. This is a, a call to worship. It is also a resolve uh, that the psalmist is speaking of here to worship. Why? Well, two reasons. One, and they, these are an utter stark contrast one to another. One is the absolute folly of looking to man. And you see that laid out very clearly in verses 3 and 4. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Well, who is being spoken of here? The princes, the princes we could say, are the powerful and influential ones. Okay? Um, a son of man, in this case, is just anybody. Any human being, any mortal creature, just as finite and fallen as any one of us, um, no matter their status, no matter their station, no matter anything, it's all of us. Don't put your hope in the princes, in the Son of Man. Why? Because not if their breath departs, but when. Meaning, all of us have a limit to our lifespan. There's going, not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. There's an end that's going to come, which their end means there's a limit to the plans, a limit to the promises that anybody can make, any human being. At least. So the lesson is don't trust them. Don't look to them as your savior. So in contrast to that, the folly of looking to man, the wisdom of looking to God, verses 5 through 9. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, 
who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. This is the God of all goodness, if I can put it that way. The God of all grace. The God of, it's interesting, the God of Jacob. Now that's an historical reference corporately to the nation of Israel, but also you could say individually, his historically, the God of Jacob. Have you read Genesis recently? The God of a scoundrel. The God of a liar. The God of a cheat who was befriended and transformed. The God of grace. The God of mercy. As you read through verses 5 through 9, and this one who comes and, and, and loves us in the ways that he does. The God of all goodness, the God of all greatness, this God of creation, you see there, uh, spoken there in ver the first part of verse 6, who makes heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, simply by the word of his power. He speaks, and it all comes to be, and as a consequence of such power, he then, last part of verse 6, keeps faith forever. He is able then to be the God of all goodness, the God of all grace and mercy, because he is the God of of all greatness and power. And nothing, nothing that he puts his mind to do, he cannot do. So, that then sets us up for what our responsibilities are. And you ask, how is that? Well, okay, clearly Psalm 146 portrays God as the God over everything. Over everything and concerned with everything. Nothing is excluded. All is before his sight. All is before his sight, which then means there's a charge upon us as his people, as his followers, as we survey this landscape and all the needs of this nation and all the, the brokenness that we see and all the hurt and pain and everything. As we, as his people, survey all that and take that in, there is this charge incumbent upon us all. And that is simply this, that if we can do good, we should do good. Whatever the arena is, whatever the possibility is, whatever the intersection between us and that, where we can do good, we should do good, which then, can I just get a little specific here? means we don't get a pass on Tuesday and get to stay home. Because if we can do good, we should do good and move towards it. God is a God of everything, nothing excluded. He is the sovereign God over all. He has placed us here in this nation, in this cultural moment, with a purpose. I don't, can't say exactly what that is, but we know it, there is one. His intentionality with all of that, which therein means that we have a, in everything, and all the time, you know, whatever day it is, and whatever season it may be, we have a responsibility, an ability, um, a privilege, all the, all the time, as we survey the landscape to, to weigh in, to speak, to act as best we can. And on a Tuesday, what we call election day, that means vote. That's what that means. That responsibility is incumbent upon all of us. The Lord has revealed himself to us. That then transforms and should shape our approach to something such as this election. So that's the first thing, our responsibility. The second thing is our, our priorities. 
and how he's revealed himself and how the implications there. The needs of the defenseless. We see that very clearly here. Um, who is listed? Verses 7 through 9. Uh, just quickly, the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoners, the blind, those bowed down, the sojourners, the widow, the fatherless, and we could say, the last part of verse 9, those who are being undone by the, the offenses of the wicked and the injustice in, their, in what's going on there. The vulnerable. Those who are suffering um, the implications and the impact of the fall. What do they need? They need sympathy. They need action. They need someone, someone to come in from the outside to, to help them. So we see here the needs of the defenseless, and now that takes us to the God of the defenseless. How does he respond to that? Does he just turn a blind eye, turn his back towards that? No, no. We see here what he does, tailor-made, matching, point to point. He keeps faith. He executes justice. He gives food. He sets free. He opens eyes. He lifts up. He loves. He watches over. He upholds, brings to ruin the wicked. Why? Because it is a reflection of who he is. Everything he does, everything that he says, is an outflow of who he is. He's the only being that there is that is actually completely full of integrity, true to who he is and always acting and saying according to who he is in a completely consistent way. Not like me. Not like you. God and God alone. God and God alone. Um, that then shapes what our priorities ought to be. Okay, how? Well, Again, all that he says, all that he does is an outflow, an outworking of who he is. We are made in his image according to his likeness, which then tells us that these sorts of things, such as we see in Psalm 146, we ought to be about. We ought to be about. These ought to be our priorities. These ought to be the non-negotiables that we should just say, that's the line, that's it, that's the hill on which I will stand. Uh, which then, I, can I just say this? And I don't, I'm not trying to belittle these issues. I'm not in any way. Beyond taxes, beyond national debt, beyond health care concerns and all of that, that I realize it affects all of us and me too, but even deeper than those things, what we have to look at are matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And those things bleed out into big issues like marriage and life and religious liberty. And those kinds of things all mixed together have to form the grid through which we see these issues and wrestle with them wherever you're coming down. That's got to be the grid through which we're sifting these, these things. The Lord has revealed Himself, His very heartbeat, His character. That has to shape how we approach this election. So, our responsibility, our priorities, lastly, thirdly, our convictions. Um, we see here clearly the, the reign of the Lord. This is the king of all, over all, over all. Verse 10, the summation of it all, the conclusion of it all, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the king, as I said. There is a king. He is reigning, he is on the throne, and he is the very one we spoke of a few minutes ago, the God of all goodness and the God of all greatness. His reign is described in this as, as going on forever. It's eternal, that is, without cessation, without termination, without limitation, without end. That's who this king is. That's who the Lord is. That's the, his 
rain is being spoken of in this way, and that then is, forms the grounds of our praise here at the, at the end of the psalm. He begins with that, he meditates on that, calls for that, and then, bam, lands with that here in, in verse 10. So you see, the cycle is broken. The cycle where, where we're accustomed to all the other saviors that we put our hope and trust in, whatever that might be, or whoever that might be. You know, no longer are promises made and broken, not with this king, not with this sovereign one. No longer are, are we in danger of putting our hopes in him and having those hopes dashed, not with him. Um, or, or our, our trust given and then betrayed and, and so not with him, not with him, not with the God of all goodness and and greatness. And that is the grounds for our praise. And that displaces fear. Do you see? Knowing who he is, knowing that he reigns, embracing that drives out, displaces fear to the degree that we've heard it, which then forms our convictions. Having our fear then displaced, it drives it, it frees us to respond in some radical ways to the mess that we call the 2016 election season. Let me just give you three examples. Three examples of, of, of convictions, things that no matter what happens Tuesday should shape the way we relate to one another and the people in your workplace, and in your neighborhood, and your Facebook group, and whatever. Humility towards our stances. Humility towards our stances. Um, we need to recognize there is a limit to what we know, and what we can be sure of, and absolutely certain of, in this crazy season. And all, I mean, just the, the fact is, I don't know about you, but I really, honestly, I feel as though I'm just doing the very best I can in trying to figure out all these issues, recognizing there's so many different things to consider that my little brain can't, it's like a hard drive error. It's going on all the time. We need to recognize the, the with that, have humility towards our stances and the absoluteness in which we hold them. Which then takes me to the second thing. Honor towards one another. There have, there are, there are simply. I don't know how much you're reading. I don't know how much, how many discussions you have. But the fact is, there are many different positions out there, and and with very good, I mean, lousy arguments, yes, but very good arguments to different, completely different positions. And if you haven't figured this out, it's because you haven't talked to enough people and had enough tenderness in the conversation to listen. That good. Godly, wise people can come down differently on different issues and different candidates in this election season. And we have got to be willing to honor one another in the midst of our disagreements. Don't assume the worst of someone because they differ with you. And don't assume the best of yourself. Be very slow on that. So, Humility towards our stances, honoring one another, and lastly, hope no matter the outcome. Hope no matter the outcome. I have no idea what's going to happen, what the headlines are going to be on Wednesday morning. Neither do you, neither do the pollsters. And if you think they do, hmm, 
We can talk. Psalm 146. May that be what is forming our, 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 goodness gracious, the way we see and feel and think and hear through all of this. Who is our help? Who is our hope? Psalm 146 is making this very, very plain to us. Oh my goodness, the Lord has revealed himself. That's got to shape our, our approach to all of this. I alluded to this at the beginning. The Bible speaks to all of life. The Psalms, always, all of them, point to Jesus. Rightfully, the Psalms are often referred to as the songs of Jesus, meaning that they are ultimately from him. They are in a beautiful, mysterious way sung by him and meant to ultimately drive us to him. And you say, how does, Psalm, how does Psalm 146 do that? How is Psalm 146 a song of Jesus? We'll go, let's do a little paraphrase of verses 3 and 4, if I may. There is a prince in whom we can put our trust. There is a son of man who is our help and our hope. His breath did depart, and he has returned from the earth. Do you see? He is the one, ultimately, that is being spoken of in therein in verses 6 and following. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. He keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. He is the one that sets the prisoners free, who opens the eyes of the blind, who lifts up the eye, those who are bowed down, who loves the righteous, who watches over the sojourners, who upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he will bring to ruin. And by the way, at the very end, he does reign forever and is reigning now. On Monday before the election, Tuesday during the election, and Wednesday too. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Did you pray with me? Father, many are indeed asking this question, how to vote. I guess we are too in some ways. And many are making forecasts and predictions as to outcomes as though they knew. Uh, and we recognize and acknowledge here at this moment it's just not that simple, but you have spoken. We have principles and guidelines that you have given to shape form us. You are God over all. You are concerned with all. Your word is applicable to all. There is no area where we are left utterly in the dark. We ask that you would have mercy on this nation. We ask that you would give wisdom and unity and courage to your church. May we be a city on a hill, as you've called us to be. And in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask my fellow 